Amen. Thank you for that. Appreciate Derek and Sarah and uh, their help with the music tonight. Psalm 119, Psalm 119, and we'll look at this next stanza in our study through this great chapter, the Mount Everest of the Bible, as it is sometimes referred to. And we are in a greater series of our theme for 2023, Confidence in the Bible. And of course, this is the Mount Everest of the Bible, so-called, because every verse of this chapter, except for uh, one or two, there are some who debate uh, the, uh, the terms in a couple of the verses as to whether or not they specifically refer to the Word of God or not. Uh, but basically, uh, 175 verses, uh, give or take uh, one or two, uh, that all speak to the Word of God, various terms that we have been looking at as we have worked our way through uh, this great chapter. The verses that we just read just a few moments ago, verses 49 through 56, you can see the Hebrew letter, the transliteration of that at least, Z-A-I-N. Again, in the Hebrew poetry, it would have been the first letter of every verse of this stanza, and forming a Hebrew acrostic. So we see the focus on this stanza, the theme in this stanza is on remembering God's Word, remembering God's Word. We are forgetful people. I don't know about you, but I am the type of person, I have a Google Calendar that I use, I have notes that I keep, a, a list, I have various ways in which I try to remember things. And uh, maybe you have an app on your phone, I know that Google Calendar has a task, and uh, I have been guilty of writing things on my to-do list even after I have them done just so I could cross them off because I am that kind of a person. I like to know I got certain things done. Sometimes I forgot to put them on my list. I get them done. I'll go ahead and add it, and then I'll cross it off. That way I can say I accomplished it, and it looks good on paper. I don't know about you, but I have been guilty of going in a room and not remembering what I went in there for. This is especially bad when I go upstairs because it takes us uh, a minute to get up the stairs and by the time I get to the back bedroom, I don't remember why I even went in there. It's sad. I try to blame it not on old age, but on the fact that I have so many things to remember. I call it a cluttered mind, not so much the fact that I'm getting old and can't remember things. But we are a forgetful people. Those are the kinds of things that we... Uh, do Maybe you do a post-it note system. Maybe you do alarms on your phone. I know that some people, they like to put multiple alarms on their phone to help them remember things. But this word remember has a lot more connotation to it than just being able to spark our memory about things that we forgot or that are on our list or things that uh, we need to be doing or whether we're supposed to go in the room to get this or to get that. This word remember has so much more meaning to it than that. So let's look at this word remember. It literally means to bring to remembrance, to mark, to mention, literally even in some context, it refers to bringing to court. Bringing to court. So let's think about this for a minute. As we are in this context of remembering the Word of God, 
let's consider the fact that we are not always the best at taking the word of God and mentioning it to ourselves, marking it, and in the case of a legal setting, bringing it to court in the sense of evidence. We want to live without the word of God speaking to our lives. That's, again, this the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So our tendency is to do things our way, to go about our own business and to try to work out the situations in life without applying the commands, the principles, and the promises of God's word. So when the psalmist says here, remember, as we look here at Psalm 119, and we look at this verse, verse 49, remember the word unto thy servant. What is the psalmist saying? The psalmist is saying, Lord, bring to my mind, mark in my mind, mention to myself. We talk about talking to ourselves. We talk about how some of us are very guilty of talking to ourselves, mumbling to ourselves. There is a meditation aspect of that that we've talked about. But it's the point that the psalmist is saying, when I need to apply the word of God in my life, Help me to bring it, bring it to my attention, bring it to my remembrance. Mention, speaking to ourselves, marking, what does God's word say? And literally, in a legal sense, help me to bring the evidence of God's word to the courtroom of my heart, my mind, and my life so that I will apply the principles, the commands, and the promises of God's word in this situation. This is something that, again, the psalmist, excuse me, the, the hymn writer wrote, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. When we think about this, we can see throughout Scripture, I'll only be able to give you a handful of examples, but when you look up the word remember, when you look up in the Bible, this bringing to mind, Memorials. In the Old Testament, there's the Ebenezer stone. Here I raise mine Ebenezer. In that great hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, where we read, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. There's a stanza in that hymn, Here I raise mine Ebenezer. What is the Ebenezer? I have Ebenezer stones in my life, lots of them. I'm thankful for them. What is an Ebenezer stone? It's a stone of remembrance. It's a memorial stone in a sense. It's a place, a spot that marks where God did a work, where God brought something into my life of remembrance of his word, where he spoke to my life through his word by the work of the Holy Spirit. And I remember, we talked last week about the psalmist writing, come and see the works of God in Psalm 66. I hope that we can all look in our lives and we can see the Ebenezer stones. We can see those stones of remembrance throughout our lives. I hope that we can remember sermons or times of prayer, even times of testing where God put us on our knees, where God caused us to get into his word, where we had a time with the Lord where he dealt with us. It may be a time of conviction. Yes, the time of our salvation, but beyond that, even times of conviction 
where we had to get things right. I remember, I've, I mentioned this before, but I remember my freshman year of college. I was holding on to some bitterness from some things in high school regarding a, s- a certain person in my high school. And I didn't even, I mean, I thought I had let all that stuff go. I had moved on, but I realized that there was still some bitterness in my heart. And I'm sitting in a class on Corinthians, and Dr. Hankins teaches on bitterness. And I was under conviction in that class. I couldn't wait to get out of that class and to to leave one of the lecture rooms. I can't remember if it was A or B. To get back to my dorm room, to get on my knees, and to pour my heart out to God and ask God to forgive me for my bitterness towards one of my high school classmates that was still in my heart, in my soul, and I was not allowing the, the, the Holy Spirit to give me victory, and it was holding me back, and I had to get that taken care of. I had to get that right. Areas like that, and there might be those moments in our lives where we have those Ebenezer stones, and they might be convictions, they might be times of calling, there might be times of just the Lord working in a particular uh, situation in our heart and life through the application of His Word and the principles and the promises and the commands. So important is this that we see the pattern throughout Scripture without being able to look at all of these places. We look at Exodus 13 in verse number 3 where Moses tells the children of Israel to remember this day. What was the day? Passover. The implementation of Passover to remember them being called out of Egypt over and over and over. We see this recollection, this this, uh, remembrance of God's delivering Israel from Egypt. The Passover. How important was that particular feast in the nation of Israel to the point that we even draw our communion, our Lord's table, from the Seder meal, the Passover. What an important feast that was to the Jews and still is to this day. Exodus 20 in verse number 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now I know that we, in this dispensation, we are not remembering the Sabbath in the sense of the Mosaic Law on Saturday with all of the observances. But there is a Sabbath principle that is found in the New Testament. And when we can give six days of the week for all of our work, all of our fun, all of the things that we enjoy doing, and we can't give God one day, We can't give God a time regularly in a week to the Lord. I believe that there should be Sabbath times in our days, a personal devotional life, whether you call it quiet time or personal devotions or God and I time. I think there ought to be Sabbath times in our daily lives. And we're told to pray always, to pray without ceasing, So we know that there should be a prayer type of meditation throughout the day. But remember, the Sabbath speaks to that Sabbath principle, that there is a time weekly, and we can even say daily in the Sabbath time of our day, where we are intensely focused in remembrance, in calling to mind, in marking, in bringing evidence of God's word to our life, to the courtroom of our heart and our mind. 
Because we need that so desperately in a world of mass information. I am so at the point that it's information overload. I mentioned this morning in Sunday school, like we really need another social media platform called Threads. Really, we need another place where we can post our thoughts and our opinions. And again, there's a place for that. But it just seems like we have so much information, data just coming from every direction, notifications galore. It seems like there's 600,000 news networks now, and they all want to send us notifications. You go to a website, and you sign up for something just because you need to access something on that website. Next thing you know, you get an email every single day. Buy this product. You go to Amazon, and you search for something. Next thing you know, their ads are popping up on your... It's like, okay, constantly, so much information. And what happens? We don't even see God. We don't even see his word through all of the information, all the data that's coming. That's why we have to remember. We have to mark a time. And that's why it is so important that we keep the Sabbath principle. But the Israelites were commanded in the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath day. Deuteronomy 15, Deuteronomy 32, Moses In his final sermon, he says, remember. And what does he remind them of? Remember thou wast a bondman in Egypt. What's he saying? Remember, you once were slaves in Egypt. Remember how God delivered you. He makes mention of that in Deuteronomy 16.3, Deuteronomy 16.12, Deuteronomy 24 in verse 9, and also in verse 18. He makes mention of remembering how they were in bondage in Egypt, how God delivered them. You think think in Deuteronomy, Moses was trying to get it clear, get it across? The importance of remembering, bringing to mind the things of the Lord, his word, his promises, his protection, his power. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 7, remember the days of old. I know I'm going to harp on this a little bit again. But we live in a day and age of chronological snobbery, to use the phrase from C.S. Lewis. If it's old, it's bad. If it's new, it's good. What do we have in our society today? Revising and rewriting history. Renaming, tearing down, making up new history that never really existed in the first place and trying to rewrite into the past or write into the past things that never were there. Millions of dollars spent on projects to try to erase history, to rewrite history. It's wrong. We have to learn from our past. We have to remember the works of old. I'm thankful for a church that has multiple generations that my kids can see Older saints who have lived faithfully for the Lord, for you who are raising young children, you have multiple generations that you are exposing your children to of people who have been faithfully serving the Lord. I'll I'll keep harping on this, I know, but I get tired of men who are in my generation and younger who want to thumb their noses at the older preachers, the older ministers. Some of them, yes, they went a little 
they hyped, uh, harped on particular things. They got a little wayward, maybe a little too focused on certain things. Yes, I get some of that. But I'm talking about good men. I'm not talking about men who were teaching false theology, false doctrine. I'm talking about good men who have blood on their sword, so to speak, for taking a stand for the cause of Christ. And men my generation and younger in the ministry who bash them, who say all kinds of just nasty things. I can't stand that. It just really irritates me. I saw it coming out of seminary, and it just I just determined that I was not going to be one of those people, one of those preachers, pastors, who was going to constantly bash all the things that all the old preachers did wrong. Well, we have our own flaws. I have in my own generation, in my own life, my own areas. I'm thankful for people who come to me and say, hey, have you thought about this, or did you realize you said this? I'm thankful for that. I need that. But I'm also frustrated with the men in my generation and younger who just think that, oh, well, we've got it. We've got it all figured out. All those old geezers, they didn't know how to do it. We finally figured it out. We're the ones who really know how to make the church work. We're the ones who really know how to do this. Well, there's the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and we're simply building on that. So this goes back generations. I can learn from a lot of good, godly men and women from the past and the fact that I'm up here preaching the word of God is only because there have been men who have faithfully proclaimed the word of God, and I am just simply standing on their shoulders, so to speak. I did not just arrive here two years ago and say, okay, everybody else did it wrong. I'm the only one who can do it right. Listen to me. No. A lot of times I'm just repeating the same things that many of you have heard for 40 or 50 years. But we have to bring those things to remembrance. We have to keep coming back to those things and mark those and mention those and bring those into the courtroom of our life. We see that pattern again in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament where Jesus even said to his apostles, remember in Mark 8, remember the miracle of the feeding of the multitude. I'm paraphrasing that, but he says in Mark 8, as the disciples are questioning this and questioning that in Mark 8, he says, don't you remember the feeding of the multitude, the feeding of the 5,000? How soon you forget. How soon you want to go and you want to question and you want to doubt and you want to live in fear and you want to act out of your own opinions and thoughts. Remember, he says in Mark 8, the feeding of the multitude. Luke 16, we read in Luke 16 and verse 25, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest good things. What's he talking about there in Luke 16? Abraham talking to the rich man who died and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torments. And he says, remember, remember you received good things and Lazarus from an earthly perspective received bad things from a worldly perspective. But who really gained heaven and who lost their soul? The rich man didn't remember in his lifetime that the good things that he had were given to him by God. That Lazarus actually had heaven. He had Christ. He had the truly good things. He remembered Lazarus, who didn't have the earthly wealth and riches. He had, he remembered, he knew the real 
good things. The truth, the gospel. Lazarus was a saved man. He may have had no earthly riches, but he had Christ. He had heaven. And Abraham reminded the rich man, as he lifted up his eyes in hell, being in torment, and he said, remember, you used to, on the earth, have good things. But you didn't know me. You didn't know my, in Abraham's case, the Christ, I should say. You didn't know Christ. Lazarus did. Remember, bring to mind. And we have to do that. And then in Luke 17, in verse 32, we could look at so many other passages that speak to this remembrance. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Who loved the world, who looked back with a gazing look upon Sodom and Gomorrah as fire and brimstone came down. And how many believers lived their lives like Lot's wife? Looking over, we were talking at lunch today with someone, and they were talking about how the only green grass they have in their yard is the grass that's over the septic tank. You know, the, the lines from the septic tank. And some people, they spend their lives looking at the green grass that's on the other side that the world supposedly has, right? And the green grass is actually just astroturf. It's just fake grass, or it's the yucky grass that's growing over the septic line. A lot of believers, they think, oh, the world's just, they're just so mesmerized. When we're to remember Lot's wife as a warning that we need to be faithful and obedience to the Lord and not be mesmerized by the world and lust the flesh and lust the eyes and the pride of life. So we see how important remembering is. What does remembering do? It brings hope. Upon which thou hast caused me to hope, verse 49. When we remember, when we bring to mind the things of God, the work of God, the words of God, does that not bring hope? Because when we are depending on our own opinions and our own thoughts and our own ways to try to navigate through life, it gets very hopeless. It becomes very futile. Many times I look at my life and I say, there's no way. There's no way I can do all this. No way. Sometimes I get ahead of myself, I get ahead of the Lord, and I'm thinking, oh, I got this figured out, I got this figured out, I got this, this. And just when I think I have it all under control, God reminds me, no, you're to depend upon me. You're to trust me. Remembering the word of God, the works of God, who God is, brings hope. Remembering God's word brings hope. Remembering usually involves an action. Remembering usually involves an action. Okay? Bringing to mind usually results in us having to act upon that, okay? A basketball coach can go through practice and can talk and talk and talk about all the different plays. The players can get their booklets out, their playbooks out, and they can memorize the plays. But where does the remembrance really come forth really get lived out. Where? On the basketball court when they put the plays into practice. When the full court press comes on and the coach calls timeout after the other team just scored six or eight unanswered points and the coach comes in and I've been there in that huddle and the coach with red face says, don't you remember what we worked on in practice? (laughs) And the coach is frustrated. And we're all sitting there, yes, coach then let's do what we learned in practice. We worked on this. You said you had it all down. You've memorized. Now let's do it. Let's practice it. Let's actually act upon it. 
And let's go through and remember our plays. We have to obey. Part of our remembrance is obedience. It's acting upon that. Um, we can memorize up one side and down the other. We can know the facts. And so many people are so good. They have all the facts, in a sense, all the Bible knowledge. They can do all the crossword puzzles, and they can do all of the word searches, and they can know all the Bible trivia. And that's great to have the knowledge, but there's also the being and the doing. And knowledge that doesn't turn into being, character, that then results in doing, is just knowledge that puffs up. We need to have a knowledge that brings to mind remembrance that results in action and obedience in doing. Remembering brings comfort. Verse 50, this is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me in my affliction. Do we not have affliction? We're burdened for the Rumbas and the Baylors right now and other families, the Millers and others. There's affliction. What a comfort the word of God brings. The quickening, the making alive, even in the times of trial and tribulation and affliction. What a joy the Lord and a gift of the Lord and the grace of the Lord to give us joy, to give us life in the midst of affliction when the world is going berserk and turning to drugs and immorality and all of the empty pleasures. And we see a light, we see a culture, excuse me, that is exhausted. Weary at the end of a long marathon and having no water to drink and desperately looking for answers and looking in all the wrong places and looking to Washington, D.C. for answers. I'm telling you what, the more I see in the news, the more I realize that Washington, D.C. doesn't have the answers, especially as the politicians reject God and turn their ways, turn away from the Lord. And we need some statesmen, some stateswomen in, in, in political office, and we're, we're hoping to be able to change some things with our votes. But ultimately, even the politicians, the people in power and leadership, have got to trust the Lord. They've got to look to God. They've got to start applying God's word. But it begins right in our own individual lives. And as the afflictions come, as the tribulations and the trials come, we remember God's word, and it brings comfort there's a quickening, a life-giving aspect in the midst of even the difficult times. So God's word brings life. It saves us, sanctifies us, and sustains us. And again, we see in verse 51, The proud have had me greatly in derision, yet have I not declined from thy law. There it is again, that pressure from the outside, from the proud, from the world, from the wicked. They have had me greatly in derision, a measure of confusion, of agitation, sometimes of discouragement. If we're not careful, we have to look to the law of God as we face the proud, as we face the wicked, as we face the evil of the world. We have to look to the law of God. We have to remember God's word so that we don't decline. From God's law. That is where we find the hope and the comfort and the life and the purpose and the joy that we so need in a wicked world. We must remember God's word. Now, when I think of remembrance, 
When I think about all that's going on in our world today, and I think of the ridicule and the scorn and the scoffing that comes through this derision, as we think of remembering God's word, as we are a forgetful people, I look around and I can't help but draw from even my experiences in education as we dealt with students with special needs, and I'm thankful for those experiences and for what God taught us in uh, working with students with special needs. And uh, there were times where there were legitimate, in, in the case of the, the students with special needs, there would be legitimate physiological factors that would affect their ability to retain the things that they needed to know in school. And they would struggle sometimes with basic math facts, with basic reading skills, struggle in test-taking, different accommodations that we would implement. And I learned in dealing with special kids with special needs that there were supports that we had to put in place. There were various ways in which the teachers had to differentiate their teaching in order to help the kids who struggled with learning for various reasons to be able to retain the information and then be able to put it back out on a test or a quiz or on a paper. In, in looking at and thinking through some of, of the, the lessons here in Psalm 119 and borrowing from some of those experiences, I don't want this to come across the wrong way at all. All of those students with all of those special needs are... are children made in the image of God, and they had certain obstacles and certain areas that they had to overcome, and we as teachers and, and education had to do certain things to help and to provide supports and to provide ladders and step stools, so to speak, to help them learn. But I think sometimes about, in my own life, that I'm guilty of having some ADD, some ADHD, and I have a tendency to get really busy and have all these things going on and not spend time with my Lord, not focus on the things that I really need to focus on. As husbands, we can get so busy that we aren't applying the principles of God's word regarding loving our wives like we should. Young people, you can get so busy, and especially with all the screens and all of the entertainment and 150,000 channels at our fingertips from all these different apps and we can get so entertainment saturated that we are distracted. It's like we have spiritual ADD or ADHD. And we don't take the time to know our God, to know his word. And then we can't develop a love for God. We can't have hope and comfort in affliction. We can't obey like we should because the word of God is not in our mind. It's not in the courtroom of our heart and our life because all of that is crowded out with all of the distractions and all of the things that fight for our attention and fight for our focus. So as we worked with these special needs kids, we would have to sometimes cause them to eliminate some of the distractions in their life. Sometimes that would come by a stress ball or something they could fidget with to bring their focus to take their distraction away from all the other things. And by focusing on a stress ball, a fidget, they could then be more focused on what the teacher is trying to say. 
And I feel like sometimes, we as believers, and I'm guilty of it, that I'm so distracted by all of the things going on in life that I'm not focused where I should be on the Lord and on His Word like I should. The psalmist says, remember. Remember God's law. Or excuse me, remember God's Word. And then he goes on in verse 52 and he says, I remember thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Judgments, again, are God's decrees, God's verdicts, God's laws. I know that this causes us and our flesh to bristle. Law, decrees, verdicts, because we want to we be our own authority, right? We want to set up our own rules. We want to write the handbook for our life. Oh, I remember in education, there were a lot of kids who could write the handbook better than me and the teachers and us in administration. Oh, there were a lot of, lot of kids who thought they could, they could write the handbook. And we get like that, right? But if we're not careful, we think that we can write the handbook for our life. And we get to decide the way it should be. And I've met many young people, I've even met adults who are still in the, even in the adult stage of their life, that are still trying to write their own handbook. And it's not working very well. And they keep fighting God. And they keep fighting God's decrees and God's verdicts and God's laws. But we're reminded again in verse 52, I remember thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. God's laws, God's commandments are not burdensome. Do we realize that? We don't, we don't realize that very much in our culture today. But God's laws, God's commandments, God's judgments, his decrees, his verdicts, they are not burdensome. We treat them as if they are. They're not grievous. They're good for us. God created us. God set the world in order and according to his design, and he gave us commands and principles and promises to follow, and he gave us a relationship with Jesus Christ as on our salvation, now we must live according to those judgments, those decrees, those verdicts, those laws, and they bring comfort. Now, verse 53 is interesting. Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. Now, we think of the word horror, and at first when we read this verse, we think there is a horror that we are experiencing in the sense of there is a horror that's being done to us. We think of the word horror. We think of maybe Halloween, haunted houses, some sort of suspenseful movie, some sort of, I don't know, slasher movie or something like that. Okay? I won't name any uh, movies, but you know the genre I'm talking about. Okay? That's the way we think of the word horror. But this word horror... In the original language, has to do with indignation, righteous anger. So let's think about this, okay? Verse 53 says, Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. What is the psalmist angry about? That God's law is being violated. That God's decrees are being disobeyed. That God's verdicts are being ignored. There is a place for us to be righteously angry. 
Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. We as believers ought to be angry in a righteous way, in a holy way, at the way that God's law, God's commandments, God's judgments, His verdicts are flagrantly disobeyed, ignored, and violated. It ought to make us angry in a righteous way. Not in a way that we go bomb an abortion clinic. Not that we get so righteously angry that we then go out and are angrily and, can I say, rudely holding protest signs up at funerals for military personnel that die, if you know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about an anger that is out of order, that is rude and inappropriate, but a righteous anger that says, our God's laws, the, our holy God who saved us, Yes, we have compassion for the lost. We desire for them to be saved. But we also have a righteous anger that God's laws are flagrantly being violated and disobeyed. And it should upset us as believers because we love our God and we're thankful for his mercy and his grace. But we also want his name to be upheld. We want God's word to be the standard. And we want God to be reverenced and respected and his word to be reverenced and respected and obeyed. And there is a righteous anger that we need to have in the right sense of that. There should be an indignation. The psalmist says that there is some righteous, in, righteous indignation and it has taken hold of him because of the wicked that forsake God's law. It should stir us up when we see certain things going on on the White House lawn, certain flags being hung in center court of the White House, it should anger us. Can I say, when even our own children violate God's law and we have to bring the right chastening and the right correction into order, into place. It's tough. It's hard. But we hate the sin. We love the sinner. But we hate the sin. And there should be an indignation in the sense that causes us to do right, to apply God's commandments, His principles, to apply God's order in the midst of a difficult situation. You get... In those situations, it works sometimes. You get in those situations in various social groups. College students across the river get put into this on a regular basis, on campus, on a secular campus, where everybody is out starting Thursday night and the party is on. And there's things in the classroom that they have to face. There's things that you have to deal with in your workplaces and trainings with all the DEI and whatever SGI, I can't remember the terms now, we have to really be discerning, don't we? And we have to be able to recognize in a righteous way the violations of God's decrees, God's order. And it should motivate us to obedience, motivate us to evangelism, but it also should motivate us to continue to live an obedient life, and to declare God's truth, even in a place sometimes that requires us to do so 
in a public square or in our workplace. And do it, do it in, in, in a way that is loving, that is appropriate, and speaking the truth in love and applying those principles. But we see that in the psalmist. We see the statutes of the Lord in verse 54. Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Once again, we see the use of the word songs. God's word is the source of our songs. We talked last week about congregational as well as individual singing. In songs, worship, praise, should come from the heart, come from within, based on the truth of the word of God, based on sound doctrine that reflects the character of God and his name. And those songs come forth because there's a joy in our hearts. So when we sing, we're singing in edification to one another, in worship of the Lord, And we're also singing because there is a joy in our heart that bubbles up, that bubbles over. And it is out of a source that comes from the truth of God's word. Can I say, without getting too carried away here, that the source of many of the songs in our culture today, the source is very clearly revealed in both the lyrics and in the sound. There is a source, and it's not God. Maybe self. Sometimes it's, can I just come right out and say satanic? When we think of what kind of went on, I shouldn't say kind of, that went on at whatever it was, the Grammys, not that long ago. What came forth on that platform was all over the news. It was evil. It was trash. It was satanic. Worship of self and worship of Satan himself on a platform that is considered one of the uh, prioritized places of award for today's cultural music. What does that say? What is the source of that sound, of of those lyrics, of those words? The source of our song should be the word of God. Speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs making melody in your heart to the Lord, as we read in Colossians and in Ephesians. And this is a reminder in the house of my pilgrimage, that we are just pilgrims on a journey. This this world is not my home. We're just a passing through. My treasure is laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And then we finally, in our last few minutes here, we not only remember God's word, remember God's judgments but remember God's name. Verse 55, I have remembered thy name, O Lord, in the night, and have kept thy law. Names are important, aren't they? Very important. Now, I know we don't take as much consideration for names today as they did in Bible times, but we do take names seriously. I know that we were very serious about naming our children. I don't even remember I'm not going to embarrass uh, Eric tonight. I guess he's not here. But we found out, we, we named Eric A-R-I-C, and we, we, we really liked the spelling, and it was a little different, and we thought it was primarily a Scandinavian origin. But we found out from a, uh, a Jew that there is a, a Jewish uh, 
origin to the name Eric. And it was very, it was very interesting learning. Um, we learned a different aspect of his name uh, as this, this Jew was speaking of his name and the Hebrew uh, origin of that. Uh, we look at our children's names. You have certain names. We talked about Charis this morning in Sunday school, Charisma. Names are important. They have identification purposes. They even, in Bible times especially, they would even sometimes have prophetic characteristics. Name, the name of God, it's all of who he is. All of who he is. Psalm 138 and verse number 2, and I want to make sure I say it correctly, Psalm 138 and verse number 2 I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. The name of God is important. It represents all of who God is. And then he mentions the night in verse 55. I have remembered thy name, all of who God is. Lord is in all caps, Yahweh Jehovah, in the night. What, what is the reference to the night? And have kept thy... Uh, and have kept thy law. Why the reference to night? Okay, night is often a time of crime, darkness. There's 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 a lot of crime that goes goes on in darkness. Okay, but also what happens sometimes at night? There's maybe a restlessness, a sleeplessness. Sometimes we wake up sick in the night. Uh, maybe there's fear in the night, darkness, um, noises, the creaking of the house. The sound outside. Uh, the first night, I remember being downstairs at 3 o'clock in the morning at our house that we live in. I did not know that the water softener recycles at 3 o'clock in the morning. I don't remember what I was, why I was up. All of a sudden, I heard this. And the floor of the house was shaking on the one side. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> Do I go run up you know, get Kelly out of bed, the kids out of bed. And I kept listening, and I was, and I, I don't even think um, Chandler was down in the basement. I don't think he was. He, he would have slept through it all anyway. I think he's a, such a sound sleeper, he wouldn't have even heard it. But I, I finally figured it out. It was the water softener. It was going through its recycle mode at 3 o'clock in the morning. It must have been set that way. And uh, I realized oh, I, was, I was afraid of nothing. But all those things that come to mind in the night. You ever had a sleepless night? can't sleep, and they tell you to count sheep. Sometimes I find myself tossing and turning at night, and I just start praying. I just start praying for you in the church. I start praying for my family. I start praying. I just, and I remember some sleepless nights and some agony in my mind and some stress and some pressure and some fears and worry, sad to say, and I just have to pray. And I just have to give it to the Lord. And I can't help but think if the psalmist is referring to that. I remember God's name in the night. When there's fear, when there's sleeplessness, restlessness, stress and worry. I remember God's name. And then, how does he conclude? How does he conclude this stanza? I have kept thy law. This I had because I kept thy precepts. Remember God's name. And that does what? It motivates us to keep his law, to obey him more, better, to keep his precepts, those commands, those verdicts, those decrees, as we remember 
God's name. Remembering the word of God, remembering God's word, remembering God's judgments, and remembering God's name. Hope this has been a help and encouragement to us tonight. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, for this tremendous psalm, for this stanza that reminds us of what we so need to be reminded of. Your word, who you are, your judgments, and your name. And Lord, may we go out from here determined to be more obedient and more faithful and to love you more and serve you better. We pray this in Jesus' name.